So, you know, today is Pentecost Sunday, and I was just counting a minute ago the number of years. We're, we're about 11 and a half, almost in August, 12 years as a church. And until this year, I don't think I ever knew Pentecost Sunday was a thing. So here we are at Pentecost Sunday. I was going to preach on 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I prayed, and I felt like the Lord said, yeah, that, that you can preach anytime, but today is, or this Sunday is going to be Pentecost Sunday, and I felt like he wanted me to preach on Pentecost Sunday. So um, let me tell you what I'm going to tell you, and then I'll tell you, and then we'll review it. What I'm going to try to drive home for you today is this, that our ministry and Jesus' ministry are no different. Jesus, the Son of God, but Jesus, the Son of Man, came to this earth. He had a mandate from his Father. He operated according to the will of his Father. He said that he had to go. It was better for us if he did go, and that when he left, he would send a helper that would help us to be like him, to be able to carry on his ministry in the manner in which he ministered. So today, what I'm hoping to accomplish is to use the day of Pentecost as a milestone to stir us to the place of recognizing and believing that while we may not be Jesus in his fullness, because he didn't choose to do it that way, he chose for us to be a body. Each one of us placed by God where he wants us to be in the body. Each one of us gifted by the Holy Spirit to do the things that are necessary to edify and build up ourselves and to witness the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. And that we would then rededicate ourselves to operating in the manner in which we've been instructed to operate. And that would be uh, what I hope to accomplish today. In you and in me also. Because I think if we're not careful, we fall um, subject to our experiences. And then we operate based upon our experiences. The more I pray and see the powerful hand of God move, the more I want to pray and see the powerful hand of God move. The more I don't see the hand of God move, I find myself in that same situation in the negative sense that I'm less likely to. But we operate by faith and by command. And that should cause us, whether we're seeing what we would perceive to be success or whether we're not, we operate according to the instruction of the Lord. Amen? Hey, Steve, take somebody off mute so that when I say amen, I can hear an amen. Somebody, let, let us know who that is so they know. But the, the quietness of preaching to the window is difficult. So I'm, I'm looking for somebody to work with me here. If you could set that up, I'd appreciate it. All right. I mentioned Jesus described in the Bible two different ways. He's described, well, many different ways, but he's described as the Son of God. Which he is. He was the, the first begotten son of God. He is also the son of man. Hey, take my uh, thing back to Walmart. It's the wrong side. Uh-oh, that's a little sooner than the amen I was looking for. Somebody's, somebody's not, uh, not muted. Jesus, the son of man. And what, what I'm going to try to demonstrate for you now is that Jesus operated, although he was always God, he never ceased to be God. He never denied his deity. 
when he came and ministered, he ministered as Jesus, the Son of Man. Let me start in Hebrews chapter 2. Oh, I didn't give you guys the scriptures today. Sorry about that. Hebrews chapter 2, starting in verse 14. I'll give you a quick second to get there, but you've got to be quick page flippers. Hebrews chapter 2. We're the children in this context. All right, here we go. Hebrews 2. Therefore, since the children, humanity, share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendant of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiations for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. So, two things I want to establish here for you. Flesh and blood, us, humanity, mankind, required a flesh and blood offering for the remittance of our sins. God himself is not flesh. He doesn't bleed. But blood is required for the remission of sins. So Jesus, the son of man, born of a woman, by the seed of the Holy Spirit, a man, had to um, be perfect in his life to be offered as a sacrifice for the sin of all of mankind. Now, I know you've heard this from me a million times, but I just want to pound it into you. The reason we know that's true is because of the resurrection. Had Jesus committed a sin, he'd still be in the tomb because the wage of sin is death. Death would have had a claim on him and he would have not been an acceptable offering for our sin. But he was. So, flesh and blood, us, humanity, to... to propitiate for this, our sins, to satisfy God for our sins, required a flesh and blood offering. Propitiation for man's sins, again, satisfying God for man's sins, required a man's blood. Like his brethren, Jesus, like his brethren. Human high priest, a human high priest was required uh, to present a human offering, again, for the propitiation, the propitiation or the satisfaction to God for men's sin. So, since the children share in flesh and blood, he, Jesus himself, likewise, also partook of the same. He had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the only way that God's plan could work was for God to send a man. He sent his son, Jesus Christ. And then, if you turn to Philippians chapter 2 now, we'll start in verse 5. God, through Paul, is, is making, a, admonishing us, encouraging us to a certain attitude, but it, it speaks again to Jesus, the Son of Man. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself for all to the 
literally translated, but he laid aside his privileges, the privileges of his deity, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. So again, you see Jesus, for the purposes of his mission, did not regard equality with God anything that he should try to grasp for. That, that he would operate as a man operates, that he would put aside the privileges of his deity, not cease to be God, but put aside the privilege of his deity that he might actually become um, an acceptable offering for the sin of mankind. Jesus, the Son of Man. The, the, the ministry of Jesus was, as a man, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Jesus did what he did, and we're all familiar with his ministry, right? Blind eyes open, deaf ears open, handicapped, shriveled up hands opened up and made functional, crippled people walking, dead people living, sick people well, mutes speaking, demons cast out, lepers cleansed, all of it done as a man empowered by God the Holy Spirit. Turn out, excuse me, Mark chapter 1. We'll start in verse 9. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. I'm glad you turned on somebody with a paper Bible. I can hear the pages moving. <laughs> Mark chapter 1, verse 9. Here we go. In those days... Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Now, for centuries and centuries, the Jewish people had been Told, prophesied of this Messiah that was coming to deliver them. They didn't understand what his mission would come. I don't think they understood that he would come twice. The first mission, they thought he was going to come the way he's actually going to come in the second coming, when he comes to establish his kingdom on earth. They thought this was when he would establish his kingdom on earth. I want you to see what's happening here. They had this person that they were waiting for called Messiah. The, the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah is Christ. That word Christ, that word Messiah means anointed one. This that you see here is his anointing. His anointing is the Holy Spirit coming upon him to empower him to do what the prophecies had said that they should expect from the Messiah. And interestingly, I, I, I find this really interesting, but I'm not sure that you can make a doctrine or anything out of it, but I don't think the words are by accident. So you see in this scenario, Jesus, he comes to the River Jordan, um, he meets John the Baptist, who I think is like his cousin or second cousin. He asked to be baptized. John said, no, I should. you should baptize me. That all righteousness be fulfilled. This needs to be done. John the Baptist baptizes Jesus. He comes out of the water. 
the Spirit comes down upon him. In another gospel, John says, that's how I knew who he was, because the one who sent me told me that's what I'd see, and I would know for sure that that one was the anointed one, the Messiah. Jesus then is immediately led, after the Father speaks over him, is immediately led into the wilderness. And the scripture says, led full of the Holy Spirit. He spends 40 days where he doesn't eat anything. He's tempted by the devil. He's ministered to by angels. We see at the end of that 40 days the specific temptations that the devil is uh, throwing at him at that moment, none of which he surrenders to. And then it says he came out of the wilderness in the power of the Holy Spirit. At that point, Jesus, he went in full of the Holy Spirit. He came out in the power of the Holy Spirit. He marched himself straight to Nazareth where he grew up. He goes into the synagogue and then he says in Luke chapter 4, Go to um, Luke 4 and 16, we'll start. Again, I wanted to show you Jesus, the Son of Man, empowered by God the Holy Spirit to do his ministry. Luke chapter 4, one book to the right, starting in verse 16. Luke four sixteen, And he, being Jesus, came to Nazareth, Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. And he opened the book and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. So Jesus himself declares that the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He's upon me for a reason. He's anointed. He's empowered me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And he closed the book, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him, and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled. In your hearing. Jesus literally declares himself Messiah. Christ. But in that declaration, he indicates how that's going to work. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to do these things. Whoever's my amen person, say amen. 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 Okay, good. Thank you very much. Now turn to... Um, John chapter 9 and verse 5. John 9 and 5. It's, it's just a quick one. Jesus said, Well, I am in the world. I am Jesus literally was sent. He was the light of the world. He was the, the hope of the world. He was the anointed one through which the light would shine to the world. Continue uh, to the right in your Bibles to chapter 14 and verse 10. John 14 and verse 10. Jesus is the light of the world while he's in the world. When he leaves, the world still needs light. John 14, 10. Do 
you not believe, Jesus is speaking, do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Who's doing the works? The Father who abides in him. How does the Father abide in him? In the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit is described both as, Jesus says, as my spirit, and is also described as God's spirit. So, he doesn't do or speak on his own initiative, but the Father who sent him, abiding in him, does his work, the Father's works. Jesus said, I don't don't have the scripture laid out for you, but basically, if, if you abide in me and my word abides in you, Ask whatever you will, and it will be granted to you, and your good works will glorify your Father who is in heaven. Go to Luke now, Matthew, Mark, Luke, to the left, one book, chapter 5, verse 17. Gospel by 
some guy named Theophilus, and now he's adding to um, his writings back to Theophilus so that Theophilus could understand about this Jesus in whom he placed his faith. Acts chapter 1. The first I, account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. Isn't that interesting? He says he only speaks what he hears the Father saying. How does he hear what the Father saying? As Jesus, the Son of Man, empowered by God the Holy Spirit. After he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. And then finally, for, for this little bit here, um, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. So if you, well, you're turning just a little bit to the right, chapter 2 and verse 22. This is literally Peter speaking to the assembled crowd on the day of Pentecost. After the Holy Spirit came and people heard the sound, they gathered to the, the point where that sound was emanating. And this is Peter on that day speaking to those people. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus, the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. So Peter, on the day of Pentecost, is telling the people that this man Jesus, the man Jesus, did all these signs that attested to him. But it wasn't he attesting to himself, it was God attesting to him as your Christ, as your Messiah, that God performed those miracles and signs and wonders and works of power through him by God's power, which is God, the Holy Spirit. So that word attest is a big deal, or attested because he's looking backwards. But to attest is to affirm something to be true or genuine. If you wondered whether Jesus was the Messiah, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the works of power, the healing that he did attests to who he was, this Messiah. Um, a test is to be proof of or to manifest. Wow, it speaks like, it, like that word was written for Jesus. Again, those things that he did, he did as an attestation to who he was, that Messiah which they'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for. Not by himself, but by God, who did those works through him. Mark chapter 16, let's move on now from, I, I mean, I, it's so hard because I can't actually interact with you. I can't, I can't get a sense for, you know, is this guy out of his mind or not? Um, I, I just, I pray to God that you understand that if you've been taught otherwise that you can see from these scriptures that Jesus did what he's asking us to do, not as a God, impossible for us as mere people to do, but as a man attested to by God with the power of God the Holy Spirit. He did those things. Thank you. That's so helpful. Now let's see just a little bit about him and and his body going forward once he's you know once he's been um, uh, exalted to the right hand of God, ascended. Mark chapter sixteen verses fifteen through twenty. And if you want to put your finger, we're going to go to John chapter 20, verse 21 next. Mark 16, 
And he said to them, he said to us, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. These signs will accompany those who have believed in my name, Jesus speaking, in my name, they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will pick up serpents, and if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick, and they will recover. So then, when the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they, us, went out and preached everywhere while the Lord walked with them and confirmed the word by signs that followed. How, how were men and women, human beings, going to do these works of power? same exact way as Jesus did by way of the anointing of God the Holy Spirit Jesus chapter 20 so we see how Jesus did it we see we know what he did we see how he did it Jesus it's all Jesus come on Holy Spirit show him where to go I'm just going to wait for him to get there Jesus John chapter 20 verse 21 we've seen Jesus anointed as the Messiah, the anointed one. We see the works of his ministry. We see how he did the works of his ministry. We see how he commissioned his body, us, you know, you don't need to unmute yourself, but say me, his body, to go about and do things. And here it's affirmed at the end of the Gospel of John, in chapter 20, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with me, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. Just a side note, people disagree on when the church was born. That they didn't, some say that they didn't actually get the Holy Spirit until the day of Pentecost. This is like ten days before the day of Pentecost. I think he, they did get this, the Holy Spirit, that he breathed on them. They receive the Holy Spirit in the manner that a person gets the Holy Spirit when they're born again. The day of Pentecost would be a subsequent getting of the Holy Spirit. So he breathed on them. He said, Father, I send them the same exact way you sent me. They can't do what I'm sending them to do, just like I couldn't do what you sent me to do as the Son of Man without the anointing present on me. As, I sent, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, Luke uh, 24, 49, you, you don't have to go to that one. I'll just read it, then you'll go to Acts and hear the same thing. So you go to Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read to you from Luke. Luke 24, 49, Jesus speaking again to his disciples. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Stay in the city. Now, he, he told them already the Great Commission. He told them, go do all these things in all the nations of the world, in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, to the outermost parts of the world. He told them, go do that. But he said, before you do, don't, don't go anywhere. You go and you wait for this power. Because you can't do it without the power. Did they have the Holy Spirit? Yes, they did. In the manner that a person gets the Holy Spirit when they're born again. He, they become part of God's body. They become indwelt. They become a temple at that moment. But there's a second thing that has to 
happen. Sometimes they happen together, one and two together like that. Told them to go away. Didn't happen to them that way. Now, Acts chapter 1, I'm going to read to you verses 4 and 5, and then I'm going to jump to 8. Gathering them together, he, Jesus, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witness both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Don't go or do anything that I showed you to do until you are baptized in the Holy Spirit in which case you will receive the power to do those things, and you shall then be my witness. We can't be Jesus' witness without the power of God, the Holy Spirit, just like he couldn't be the Messiah and do those things that attested to that truth without the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to do those works. You shall be my witness. It's interesting, that Greek word for witness is the Greek word we get our English word martyr from. You shall be my martyr. And in order to be his martyr, in order to get that spirit, we have to die, right? Without us dying and then being born again in Christ, in him, we don't get that Holy Spirit, that, that, that power to be his witness, so we can martyr ourselves on behalf of his witness. When he says these words, and you hear all those scriptures that I just shared with you, you have to know that that baptism is required. And, and more than that, expected. Because he's expecting us not to be good people, not to quit telling lies, not to, you know, not talk bad about the governor. All that's true. But that's not it. Our job, our call is to be his witness with power to this world. Somebody give me an amen. Amen. Thank you. I, I almost thought I had to add on there and mean it. All right. Now, flip to Acts chapter 2, verse 1. We celebrate Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost is a festival. Pentecost, it means 50. Um, it's either 50 or 51 days after the first day of the festival of the Passover. So God commanded that they would celebrate the Passover and they would remember that uh, God sent his angel through in the Passover and every house that was prepared with the blood of the lamb on the, I think the word is lentils, but basically on the doorframe of the house, the angel of death would go past them. But those houses that weren't prepared that way, the firstborn, the angel of death would take. So they celebrate the Passover. And then 50 days later, they celebrate um, Shavuot, Shavuot. I can't remember exactly the word, the Hebrew word, but the day of Pentecost, when they would celebrate the spring harvest or the Feast of Weeks, it's called. So here's this, this um, high day within the Jewish community, and God chooses on that day to baptize his church in the Holy Spirit. Probably because there were so many Jewish people 
that had descended upon Jerusalem from all the different places you're going to hear, Elamites and Parthians and all these places, that he would demonstrate to them through his church on Pentecost. Okay, so here's what actually happened. This is the day of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So can you imagine when the Holy Spirit dropped on that upper room with those 120 people like a bomb, the sound of a mighty rushing wind, and with what looked like tongues of fire coming down and resting upon them, the sound that that made through such a big city as Jerusalem got people's attention and drew them to see what is this that we're hearing? What is this commotion? Now, when they get there, this is what they find. Now there were Jews, I'm in verse 5, now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them, the people in the upper room, speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why? Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Cappadocia Pontus, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongue speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking and saying they are full of sweet wine. So here is God using the very beginning of the church, those people in that upper room, demonstrating through them, like he did through Jesus, by the power of God and the Holy Spirit, in this case, choosing to use the tongue, the glossalia, glossalia, I forget the Greek word, the tongue of the people. So the, the Chinese guy was hearing in Chinese, and the, the Elamite was hearing in Elamite, and the Pamphylia and Pamphylia, and the Egyptians and Egyptian, and, 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 but aren't they all just, just Galileans? What is going on? But they're declaring the power and the glory of God to these people on the day when the church is empowered to go be the church like Jesus was the light of the world. Before the guys, the twelve, Peter, his brother, James and John, when Jesus was crucified, they went back to their fishing boats. They didn't really know what to do. But after the anointing that happened on the day of Pentecost, just like that, boom, here we go. Um, next, if we were to read it, we won't, but if we were to read it, it's Peter's sermon. And, and he lays it out for all these guys, people. And on that day, they started with 120 in the upper room. 3,000 souls were added to the sacrifice of Jesus. On that day of Pentecost. 
see the power of God working through them like it did through Jesus. There was a crippled guy at the Temple Gate Beautiful. Acts chapter 4, um, 29. I'll give you just a quick second. Chapter 4, verse 29. I'm trying not to look at my watch. And now, Lord, take note of their threats. See, they, they got into trouble because this great miracle had happened when this this crippled man who would get plunked at the Temple Gate Beautiful and beg for money. You know the story, right? Silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Arise. And they took him by his hand and he leapt up and he began leaping and jumping. And, and all of a sudden this guy who was crippled wasn't crippled anymore. Well, that got them in trouble because the Pharisees or the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish people, they didn't want this Jesus preached anymore. He's dead and wanted to just go away. So they got in trouble for preaching the name Jesus Christ. After they get out of the, the rebuke, 429, Acts 429, and now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant that your bondservants may speak your word with all confidence while you extend your hand to heal and signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. How did it happen? Through God. Extend your hand, God, to heal. And signs and wonders take place through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That was them understanding that they were to take on his role now in the way that he did it. Flip maybe one page, maybe two pages to the right. Acts chapter 5, verse 12. This is the church. We're the church. This is the church. Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all with one accord in Solomon's portico. But none of the rest dared to associate with them. However, the people held them in high esteem. And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added to their number to such an extent that they even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any of them. Also, the people... Also, the people from the cities in the vicinity of Jerusalem were coming together, bringing people who were sick or afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all being healed. Now, cots is just a cute little play on words here. They laid them on cots and pallets. But I've seen the vision, and I've shared with you the vision. I've seen the vision where you can't get a place to park at church because all the sick people got there first. And they're on cots and they're on pallets. And they're sick, and they're blind, and they're crippled, and they have demons. And you got a little schedule that says, all right, it's Larkin's day to go out and heal all the sick people. And the rest who had to walk down the, the side of the road to get to church because you couldn't find a place to park would be inside the church, and church would be going on. But Larkin, or you pick them, is out there because it's their day. And the power of God is manifest through the Holy Spirit and their ministry, just like Jesus, as the people are being healed. And you should hold on to that vision. I pray that it happens in the next 12 months, but if it doesn't, you should hold on to that vision. Because that's what the church is supposed to look like. 
Turn to the right a little bit further. Acts chapter 8. Verse 5. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. The crowds with one accord were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. <laughs> I checked a scripture to make sure that the ESV didn't, I don't want to have any ESV people get mad at me, so I was checking, and I didn't notice that I copied some scriptures out of the ESV because I forgot to switch back. So the next scriptures you're going to hear are actually in the ESV. If you think that my... Um, ESV got drunk and didn't. It just became ESV, ESV for a second. Here's the thing I want you to see. Philip went to Samaria. Uh, there was a Roman province called Samaria, the capital city of Samaria, like New York, New York, was a city called Samaria. Philip was called by God to Samaria. He's preaching the gospel. God is confirming his preaching of the gospel with Demons being cast out, miracles and signs and wonders happening. There's more to see about that that I didn't read to you. And then this happens in uh, verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John. Not, not just anybody, right? Peter and John, two of the three most intimate with Jesus, sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. It's important for you to understand this, that there are people who don't, don't see the baptism of the Holy Spirit the way we see, the way I'm preaching it to you today. And they say, yes, they heard the word, they responded to the word, they even got baptized, but they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. Well, that's nonsense. That's them trying to create an, an understanding of the scriptures to agree with their doctrine rather than letting the scriptures define their doctrine. Okay? How do I know that? I know that this way. When a person responds to the gospel, they are born again in that moment. When they're born again, God seals them with his spirit. They are sealed and filled with the Holy Spirit in the sense that happens when a person is born again. They get the Holy Spirit. These people responded. How do we know? Because Philip baptized them. You don't baptize someone in anticipation of their response to the gospel. You baptize them, and that becomes their declaration of their response to the gospel. But the Holy Spirit, in the manner that we saw on the day of Pentecost, had not yet fallen on them. When word gets back to the leaders of the church, in this case, Peter and John are sent for the very purpose of making sure that they don't go off and try to be Christians and fulfill the Great Commission until they've been empowered by the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They came from Jerusalem to the city of Samaria to lay hands on these people that they might get the baptism of the Holy Spirit and now be empowered by God the Holy Spirit to go and do the things that Jesus commanded them to do, which is the witness of his ministry itself. Somebody give me another amen. Amen. Okay, good. Now you got just a little bit more to the right, Acts chapter 9. You know the story, I'll just tell you the story while you're flipping. This guy, Saul of Tarsus, was a persecutor of the Christian church. 
He's on his way to do some more persecuting um, on the road to Damascus, and he has an encounter with the risen Jesus Christ. A bright light shines on him. Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus Christ that you persecute. Saul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Why don't you just figure out that I am the Messiah? Saul gets saved. He's, he goes back, or maybe on to Damascus. I forget exactly where he's at. And he's blind. He has scales on his eyes. He hasn't had anything to eat, and he's praying. God goes to this guy named Ananias, a, a, a Christian, and he sends him to Saul. Ananias is like, hey, listen, you know that's the guy that kills guys like me. Are you really sure you want me to go and see that guy? And God said, yeah. So we picked that up right here. So Ananias departed and entered the house. And after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. So God himself made sure that Saul, who we know as Paul, was uh, prayed over to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because he needed the power of God the Holy Spirit to go about his mission. Flip now to the right further to Acts chapter 19 and verse 1. Now this, this Saul, who changed from his Hebrew name to his Greek name, Paul, is out doing his ministry, and he comes to Ephesus. Acts chapter 19, verse 1. It happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the upper country and came to Ephesus and found some disciples. That's an important word, disciples. He said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? And they said, Into John's baptism. Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him, Jesus, who was coming after him, John the Baptist, that is, in Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Paul runs across these disciples. In some sense, they're disciples. They've been baptized, but only baptized into the baptism of John. He explains to them the bigger picture of the gospel. That's my assumption. And then he baptizes them. Who do you baptize? You baptize saved people. People that already have the Holy Spirit. Because they're born again. But look what happens next. When they had heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. That's their water baptism. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. What's the point? Every single one of these instances in the early church indicated the critical necessity not that you be just born again, but that you be baptized with power to be Jesus' witness as he witnessed to the world in power. Everybody needs the baptism of the Holy Spirit in order to carry the power. Now, the difference between the Holy Spirit in the sense of baptism and power and the whole same Holy Spirit in the sense of indwelling, what's the difference? I don't know. I just know that the scriptures teach us that if you're a Christian, you need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, just like you saw on the day of Pentecost, that you might operate in the very power that Jesus himself had. Okay, so 
Jesus was attested by the power of God, not as God, not that he wasn't, but the attestation wasn't that he was as God, but as a man full of the power of God, the Holy Spirit. That attestation, that anointing indicated that he was the Messiah. We are sent, as he was sent, to be his witness, to attest to him, witness, to attest to him in the same manner as men and women filled with power in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived by the enemy. He's trying to tell you that you're Jesus. Don't be deceived by doctrines of men who try to figure out, well, when I do this stuff, nothing happens. It doesn't matter what happens. It matters that we obey what God says. The devil does not want you to believe that you're supposed to witness in the power of God the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did. He wants you to be a good guy, do the right things, pay your taxes, don't say any curse words, don't tell a lie. That's what the devil is willing to give you. If he can get it back, he'll take it. But the last thing he wants is for you to witness Jesus Christ the very way he witnessed himself as the Messiah. And I've stumbled in the same way myself. I'm not building a new doctrine. I'm sticking with the old doctrine. But many, many Christians have really tried to figure out, why isn't this happening? And, and I have some thoughts, but it doesn't matter. whether my, If my thoughts are right or wrong, then, then I need to act according to truth. But at the end of the day, we're called to heal the sick. We're called to go speak in other tongues. Maybe that's as a missionary. Maybe that's as a prayer language. Maybe like on the day of Pentecost, it's a it's a, a a gift of tongues as a sign for unbelievers, just like we see in First uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen. Why do we remember Pentecost? Pentecost is a memorial. <laughs> it is now for me. I never knew until today or this week. It's a memorial. It's a memorial to remind us. Matthew chapter five. Verses 14 and 15. Remember Jesus said, While I'm on this earth, I am the light of the world. That was true. But the world was not to be in darkness anymore when he ascended. He ascended because that was part of the plan. He sent the paracletos, I think, the, the, the one that would come alongside, the helper, the Holy Spirit, to empower his body just like it empowered him while he was the light of the world. Matthew 5, 14 and 15, now says you, you, me, we, we're the light of the world. And he, he gives such a beautiful qualification here. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. What's the difference between me Patty Carter, and God shows her visions of things, and an unsaved person. I'm the light of the world. They're not the light of the world. My lamp, Patty's lamp, has been lit. How is it lit? By the Holy Spirit. When we receive the Holy Spirit, and then the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're given power that would make us so visible to the world that wants to deny that there's a God, that thinks that that God is unfair, that that, that is an atheist, that, that worships the universe, 
all that crap that's going to keep them separated from God, he throws a switch in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, just like on the day of Pentecost. And he gives the power to light the person who's like a city on a far-off hill. It's dark. You can't see anything, but you can see that city because its light is on. That person, their light is on. He didn't light us to be a good guy. We don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be a good guy. We're born again. We're not corrupt in our spirit anymore. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be changed into the likeness of Christ and to be his martyr witness to this world. You might say, well, that is a great sermon, Pat. You got a lot of good scriptures and you know you painted a pretty good picture, but you didn't tell me anything that I didn't already know. Quite frankly, I don't ever expect to tell most of you anything you don't already know. I don't think that's necessarily why God's put me here. My question to someone that would say, I already knew all this, you know, there's two hours of my life I can't get back. I'd say that's wonderful that you know it, but are you living it? Is my life, and I'm as convicted as if I'm making you feel convicted, then praise God. But I'm as convicted as you are. It's so easy to fall into a pattern of complacence. Or, as Hebrews said, remember when we figured out what the word for disobedience was? Don't be like them, disobedient. That word is apathy. It's easy to fall into a pattern of apathy. Well, I prayed for 20 people and nothing happened. I must not, God must not want me to do that. Nonsense. He wants you to pray for the 21st and the 22nd and the 23rd and the 30th and the 50th and the 100th. And then you never see the manifestation the way you expect to see it. What you did do is you pleased God by faith. So today is a day of memorial to remember to stir up that fire inside of us, that we would burn with holy fire, the fire of the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus did, to do the mission he gave us to do in the fullness of his goodness. Father God, I thank you so much. I have to ask your forgiveness and confess that that I must constantly, just like just like Paul told Timothy in, in 2 Timothy, to stir that thing up inside of you, Timothy. Stir it up. Don't be timid. You weren't given a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Father God, I ask that you keep us reminding each other in love, no offense, keep reminding us that that fire that we get from the baptism of the Holy Spirit is to burn, not just in us, but through us. That's why your word says, rivers of living water will flow from your innermost places such that we might be a martyr, a witness to our Lord Jesus Christ, that we might minister to this world in the way that you've prescribed it to be and you've demonstrated for us in Jesus' ministry. So church, I pray that you will stir that fire in yourself. I pray that you will stir that fire in one another, and that baptism will be manifest because God wants it to be. Don't let the devil, don't let the world, don't let the church tell you that your call is to be a good person. If that's the best that we have to offer, it scares me. God has invested in us. He expects a return from us, and I pray that when we walk through those gates, not only will he say, welcome, but he'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. 
you were faithful what I gave you, and you brought a great return and harvest to, to me in the name of my son. So, Father God, help us, Lord, stir.